I grew up in North London and went to school at Westminster where I met Nick Raphael, who is now known as Nick Manasseh, and that is how I got into reggae properly. So in about 1982, I started my sixth form year, and he joined the school as a new boy, and it's a boarding school, and they put him together with me because for some reason they thought I was a good option to show around the new boy. And um, he turned up with a turntable and loads of records, and that's how I got into more reggae than Bob Marley, so to speak, mm. by listening to all his stuff and getting into extraordinarily deep roots like Yabby You and Augustus Pablo and King Tubbies and fell in love instantly with Tapazuki, who's since then always been one of my favourite, favourite DJs. And it all started there, really, and he used to take me record shopping to Daddy Cool in, at the time, I think it was in Dean Street, and dub vendor and so on and that's where my where I think of my reggae life beginning when I got married in 1999 we wanted to live in North London and that's where we ended up because it was near where a lot of my family were living at the time and it was affordable so that was the balance and we started living in Cranhurst Road, which is near Wilsdon Green Tube Station, and started having kids and building family, and then moved a couple of streets away as the family was growing because we needed a house. The flat wasn't big enough. And I've lived in Riffle Road ever since. Well, I always, from, from the beginning, liked the idea of DJing because what I love is sharing stuff with people that are into what I'm into. So as soon as I started buying some records and meeting people that liked the sort of thing that I liked and hanging out with Nick and also seeing Nick beginning to DJ, it really caught my attention. And, and, and so after I left school, I started DJing a few parties and this and that. And I just fell in love with that vibe of seeing the reaction of people to, to a record you've chosen, you know, uh, and that's really, you know, it sort of all went from there. So I started DJing a few parties and this, that and the other. And then when I went to university, I got into DJing there and there was a university radio station. Um, so we jumped on that medium wave. It only served the campus. And yeah, it's just been a thread since then, having that in my life has been... And it's a, it's a source of enormous comfort to me, that music, because I suppose it's been in my life that long, so it takes me to a place that I feel very safe with. Mm -hmm. So if I, you know, I use it as a, as a resource, mm -hmm. yeah, to, to, to keep myself centred and, yeah, grounded. My experience of reggae in Brent has probably been a bit more recent because when we started our family in 2000 it was so full on that in a way I had to take a step back you can't be as I'm sure you know a parent of young kids and be out all night I mean unless you really are a full-on proper career DJ and that's what's making your living 
it's very difficult to have a, a job, which at the time for me was being a yoga teacher, which is working by the hour, as you know, and then also fit in DJing and be tired because you've been DJing late or maybe somewhere far away uh, and so on. So it wasn't until my two big boys who were born in 2000 and 2003 got a bit older that I had the time to start getting back into it. And then I started doing a few things around in Brent and also getting to know what was going on in Brent. Um, I'm trying to think back. My, my memory is quite hazy at that time, only because the whole thing with the kids is all a bit of a blur. So the whole thing in general is a bit of a blur. So I'm trying to think of what was going on in Brent at the time. Um, I mean, my DJing wasn't really limited to Brent, but I met lots of people. Um, you know, and going around Harlesden, buying records and so on. It, I connected with a lot of people. Um, just people that were running the shops, I can't even really remember any names. I mean, there's a place um, in Harlesden called Stumpy's, where we've, we did a few dances uh, over the years. Um, it's a sort of Caribbean restaurant, but it's got this amazing little back room where they do club nights and so on. So that was really cool, uh, and the guy that runs it is called Stumpy, um, and he was really lovely and let us play there. So um, that radio station was set up by some really excellent people who I'm sure you will meet along the way. Um, Max Grafe, who is a radio guy, who extraordinary man actually, he goes to Africa and sets up radio stations in quite obscure areas. He's a very, very cool guy. Um, and so him, uh, another really cool guy called Chris Jones, um, who plays bass in a band but also is very techy and knows a lot about music. And then there is um, Maha, who I'm sure you know. These guys set up uh, K2K in, I think it was about 2012 or something like that, and I knew Karen at the time, Karen Owen, who is now working full-time for BBOC, and I said I'd really like to have a show because I hadn't really done any... I'd done odd one-offs and bits and pieces, but I hadn't really done anything regular since KISS. And again, I have a real issue with having a massive... not massive, but a, a lot of music just sitting in a cupboard. And it's fun to stand at your own record player and play it. But after a while, the kids start to moan and go, oh, Dad, have you got anything apart from reggae? Sort of thing. Um, and I really wanted to get back on, you know, and, and share it. So they were kind enough to give me a show, uh, which started at the end of 2012. And I've been doing that ever since, once a month. And, I, and it's a bit of a... Um, a sort of personal project for me as well, only because what, one thing I wanted to do as the digital age sort of came into being was to get my music onto the computer, so to speak. But I didn't really want to, to sit there recording it all in real time. So this seemed like a perfect opportunity to almost archive my music in two hours, like you would make a compilation tape back in the day except that I talk on it from time to time and go this, you know, tell people what the tune is. I'm not, I'm very much never been a personality DJ, so it's limited almost entirely to telling people what the music is and, you know, doing shouts for people, 
and maybe mentioning gigs. Um, and I've always, I've always been slightly uncomfortable with talking, but I feel like I need to say what the record is, otherwise it is literally just a list of records sort of thing. Um, so I don't repeat anything. I've made a couple of mistakes on the way, but since 2012, so it's like a, it's archiving. So it's it's sort of my, it's a bit full of myself to say it's my gift, but it's my it's like here's my record collection from me to you, in these kind of two hour sections, and it's all on vinyl. There was one show I did one Christmas, which was a CD special. But I had I have got a lot of reggae on CD, and I thought, well, it'd be nice to have a, a set of the stuff that isn't on vinyl. So I did a CD show, which weirdly didn't. They didn't have the, the listening figures for quite a lot of that. So I wonder whether people, you know, really have a thing about the vinyl. So they're a brilliant station. You were asking about what, you know, what about K2K, but I mean, they're an incredibly eclectic radio station. They run out of the Granville, which is oh, yeah. where BBOC, I think, has their sort of HQ. Yeah. And um, cool little DJ were sort of radio booth in the basement. And um, all sorts of really amazing shows on there not all music even, you know, lots of different interests mm. and things. It's a brilliant, brilliant community radio station. And, you know, again, just like you lot, it's, it's commendably run by people that aren't making any money. You know, nobody can, it's not generating anything. And in fact, it costs money mm. to run. So, yeah, really fantastic organisation. Reggae was part of my childhood from my early teens, I would say. So, you know, as with most of us, as we discovered smoking weed, the reggae sort of went along with it. So, you know, we started buying a few Bob Marley records and I always remember my first and still favourite Bob Marley LP is Kaya. And I just used to listen to it virtually on repeat. And then gradually a bit of, you know, Black Uhuru and Gregory Isaacs and so on. So yes, uh, sort of from my early teens I, I got into reggae and, I, and it's really hard to describe what it is I love about it, but it's, it, it's got such a kind of solid core feel to it for me compared to any other type of music. It's like, it's a feeling of coming home when some reggae comes on. You know, and I love all lots of different types of music as well, although I would never DJ with it or know enough about those types of music to do anything more than enjoy them. And in fact, a lot of the time, I need to talk to other people to find out what to listen to in a, in a genre that I like. But something about reggae is just a different category, you know, of its own. My favourite reggae track is a song called Living a Lie by Vincent Taylor. And I remember when I... When Nick and I used to listen to reggae together, he had a tape which had that on it. And we used to, we had a Walkman. I don't know if any of your listeners will know what a Walkman is, but you can Google it. And it was a portable tape player, a good quality one, which, you know, it was a first proper quality portable cassette player. And we used to sit, so at our school, we had a room on the top floor of a house in Westminster, so it was actually slightly outside the school, because the school owned a couple of properties outside. And it was in Barton Street in Westminster. And it had a tiny, tiny balcony. So after lights out, we used to wrap up and roll a spliff and go and sit on this balcony with our heads below the parapet so we could not be seen, and listen to this Walkman and smoke weed 
And that was a track that was on there, and I loved it ever since. And it then took me a long time to actually find the record. And it's not even called Living a Lie on, on the actual record. So I will have to show you what it is so that you can enjoy it as well. But that is, for some reason, that track has a very special status for me. It's a really incredible, incredible record. Yeah, Living a Lie by Vincent Taylor, also known as Babylonian. So that always takes me straight back to this feeling of being wrapped up in the cold. And you could hear... So Big Ben strikes every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day. And you can hear it from the school and from where we were living. So you, could, you had the reggae on, and then every 15 minutes, dun, 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 you know, like coming through the background. And it's, yeah, I can still remember that right now. Well, the first reggae record I bought was Kaya. And as I said, that's been something I've listened to probably on a weekly or at least monthly basis. When our price still existed, yeah. that's where I was buying LPs. Where do I listen to reggae? At home, mm -hmm. in the car, and in all other places that I am, <laughs> mainly. As I say, I do listen to other stuff, but I do keep coming back to reggae. Where do I listen when I go out? Well, currently, if I want to go out and listen to reggae, I've been a regular Shaka goer in the mid-80s, so anytime Shaka's playing, I'm generally going to go. Um, Recently, he started playing regularly at this place called The Fold, which is Canning Town, which really is far. So I went there once, and it's a brilliant venue, but you really have to commit. You know, you know that if you're leaving there at three, you're not even walking through your own front door till four, sort of thing, you know, so that's quite hard. So I'm really happy that he started playing at Subterranea. He played Subterranea recently, which was brilliant, an amazing, amazing dance a few weeks ago. So Shaka, definitely. Uh, Nick does a thing in Portobello every couple of months called Manasseh and Friends. It's really nice. So it's, it's usually him and someone else, and someone else will open. I've done it with him a couple of times, which is lovely, and he's had brilliant people doing it with him. He had Gaz from Gaz's Rockin' Blues did one with him. Papa Face, who, I don't know if you know Papa Face, but he is dub vendor, really, okay. now, and also has been Rodigan's right-hand man for a long time. So that's really good fun at the Mau Mau Bar. Every couple of months, Manasseh and Friends, so I go there. There's a few, there's a, there's a sort of Italian reggae scene, mm. subculture in London, and there's a really super cool guy called Giuseppe Tarantino, who calls himself Peppino, Peppino I, and he does something called Hackney Dub Club. So that's a radio thing and also a going to thing. So yeah, that's the sort of ones that spring to mind if I want to go out and listen to reggae. I don't think I know enough really to answer a question like how has reggae influenced other genres except the thing that always springs to mind for me is rap because I love the reggae style of DJing, of toasting and mm -hmm. I adore listening to people like Big Youth and Uroy and Tapazuki and I'm forever trying to impress upon my children who listen to the most awful rap in my opinion. Some good stuff as well but some of it's horrific. That it started with the sort of stuff that they keep telling me to turn off. You know, so that, I think, is a very clear link. You know, the style of toasting and talking, so to speak, rather than singing um, and sort of riding the rhythm and that whole um, culture of where that started with sound system in the sense that you'd have a sound system selector play a vocal and then flip it and play the dub and then everybody would grab the mic and do their thing over the dub which I've always found incredibly exciting because you hear stuff that is one away, you know, you're hearing people doing stuff live, you may never hear that again or see them again, you don't know. 
So that link between reggae toasting and rap is, to me, very clear. But also just that sort of any music subsequent to reggae which has the, um, the sort of dominant drum and bass rhythm section driving it, I think has to have come from that. You know, this concept of how club DJs use what's known as the drop, as in they begin a tune and it's maybe the bass isn't in it yet or the tune hasn't really started in earnest and then when it does, everybody sort of goes mental. That's a reggae thing, that's a sound system thing. You know, that's, that's, a, that's driven by a technology on a preamp where you can turn off the bass or turn it back on rather than just turning it down. So often in sound systems dances you will get a tune that begins with the bass switched off and the selector will decide when you're going to hear the bass and at that moment it all goes mad sort of thing so the drop is a concept you know that I hear my kids talk about my 16 year old went to Reading Festival week last year and he was talking about how the mosh pits were working and so on and and he mentioned the drop and I said you'll never guess where that came from <laughs> you know and then proceeded to regale him uh, probably for longer than I needed to, um, about, you know, how that works with reggae. But, you know, that's a, also, that's something I've always loved. It's a very exciting thing to do, to have your finger on that switch and be in charge of when, you know, if, when that heavy bass drops and see the effect it has. So that's something that club DJs do. And I think that must have started with reggae because reggae predates all that type of music, you know, and that whole... DJ culture. Well, to my wife's eternal embarrassment, I did used to wear a lot of red, gold and green when I was at university, probably too much. Not hair, well, mm, yeah, I mean, back in the days when I had some hair, um, it was long-ish, but not, I didn't have dreadlocks or anything like that. Um, but no, but I did have, you know, red, green and gold belt and a variety of t-shirts and other bits and pieces um, and probably wore them all at once. I've <laughs> shut it out of my mind. And um, so, yes, a bit. It influenced the way I dressed a bit. I've always thought about dancing, that, that, that one is being danced, mm. so to speak. You know, I'm not thinking about it too much, and I'm very much a fan of dance like nobody's looking. Mm. Uh, again, probably to my wife's massive uh, <laughs> shame. But um, I love dancing, and I love dancing particularly to reggae, because... It's a sort of meditation in a way. So, no, if you're asking about any particular style, but yes, that feeling of just being your body being moved by the music without you really, you're almost sort of channeling it rather than doing it. It's being done to you. And that's a wonderful place for me, yeah. I'm really rubbish at talking about politics because I'm woefully ill-informed, my own fault entirely. But... Reggae's always been a, a rebelly thing. You know, it's a, it's a black music, originally, of course, um, and as a result of the oppression and of black people and racism in general, it's always been a platform for people to talk about that sort of thing. So I think it probably has had an influence, but I wouldn't like mm. to say, you know, anything specific, because I simply don't know. Mm. Um, you know, Brixton Riots is an obvious sort of um, item. But again, I, as I said, I don't know nearly enough about it to answer a question like that. I buy music mainly from Honest John's, Dub Vendor, which is now run from Mau Mau Bar oh, right. in Portobello okay. by Papa Face. 
there's a few mailing lists which are very cool. It's more just filling little gaps in my collection because, as you probably know, a lot of reggae... The thing about reggae records for a long time was that there were a lot of rarities. And in some ways that was the um, currency of DJs and sound systems if they could play it, you know, if they played something that you just can't get anymore. You know, regardless of the whole dub plate thing, if you had that tune, you know, then that was massive kudos for your sound if you could play that or play against someone if it was a sound clash or something like that. But now, a lot, a lot of stuff has been repressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I remember Nick saying to me when I was travelling, we were on the phone, I was in Australia, and he said, all of our record, all of the value of our record collections has just plummeted. In the sense that, you know, everybody can now get so many of these tunes that were, as I said, currency for the sound because nobody else had them and you had them sort of thing. Um, I mean, that's not entirely true, only because amongst the real label geeks, it's still really impossible mm-hmm. to get the originals mm-hmm. of these tunes. Sometimes the, pre- the original press is better. The condition might not be great, but actually quite a lot of the time, the, lab- you know, the way that some of the label nerds, not that they need to defend themselves, but the way that the label nerds sometimes sort of justify wanting the original is that it is in fact a better press. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a conversation for the people that really care, you know. <laughs> but, um, but going back to what you're saying, uh, I buy stuff that, that, I couldn't, that I still never managed to get at the time and has been repressed because I'm a big fan of everybody having the tune if that's what they want. And if it means yeah. you can play the record and enjoy it, then that's delightful for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, buy, I do buy some new stuff if I like it, but... My niche is sort of old roots. Yeah. Generally, is my big, big, big love. Mm-hmm. So if I can find stuff, you know, and it, and stuff gets pressed that never got pressed in the first place. Sometimes, obviously, mm-hmm. because labels need to survive and they need to find stuff to press and things. So you start to find versions that were never released in the first place, mm-hmm. but now, oh, I never heard that cut before, sort of thing, and now you can get it. So yeah. So there's still still lots to get, yeah. yeah. Lots of little holes to fill in the collection. Mm-hmm. There's another brilliant record shop in Camden called Out on the Floor mm. in Inverness Street, where I buy records. It's just around the corner from Tri-Yoga, where I teach okay. yoga, run by Jake Travis, who is Tough Scout. Right. So if you've heard of the label Tough Scout, which is a, a label that's been around for a few years now, not, not long, 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 um, run by Jake Travis and a really cool producer called Gil Sang. Uh, and their records are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But he also has this fantastic record shop with lots of second-hand stuff that you can have a real dig around. Mm. So yeah, sorry, that's another brilliant place to go and buy records. I would love that there would be a, a venue, it doesn't have to be a reggae venue, but somewhere that was that lends itself to people that want to play reggae, being able to do it without any worry about what time you have to close, without any worry about how loud mm-hmm. you can play, you know, without any worry about all the things that we are constantly battling against to try and, you know, play out. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could have somewhere to play and to run reggae dances mm-hmm. um, in the way that we'd like to, that would be amazing, number one. 
Number two, what you're doing, which is creating these oral histories, archiving them, talking to people who have lived in Brent and have been part of that reggae scene and instrumental in the development of, of that culture in this area. You know, what you're doing is, is really, really important mm. and that really will become a resource mm. and a really important thing for people to be able to dip into and find out what they want to find out. So I'm really happy that this is happening. You know, it's really exciting that Brent has got this borough of culture status and it's really exciting that it's being organised so well with people taking these histories and talking to people and finding out and building this tapestry of, of information and yeah, I think it's just an amazing project. I'm really excited to see how it, you know, how it goes and how it turns out because it will be something that will be there then forever. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it really is brilliant. And it's also brilliant that I hadn't realised how many really amazing reggae people mm-hmm. are Brent-based or mm. were Brent-based, like you said, you know, Dennis Al Capone. Mm. You know, for me, I've been lucky enough to um, DJ at gigs of mm. my heroes, you know, and in fact recently I had a little run at the Jazz Cafe over the last year, 18 months, where I've managed to play with Johnny Osborne, Horace Andy, the Twinkle Brothers, the Pioneers, Aswad, Lee Perry. I know, it's extraordinary. I mean, you just, it's beyond belief. Yeah, you, Roy, I played with a few years ago. All these people. And growing up with the music since the 80s and listening to people, I mean, my favourite, favourite artist of all time in reggae is Johnny Clark. So when I met Johnny Clark for the first time, it was a very extraordinary experience because my only experience of Johnny Clark had been the words Johnny Clark written on a record and listening to his voice. So to see the flesh, I felt the same thing actually recently at a Johnny Osborne gig, you know, having loved Johnny Osborne music forever, to be standing there after having had his music in my life, you know, songs like Truth and Rights and all these amazing songs, and then to see the man standing there with a microphone, singing Truth and Rise. You know, I sort of had goosebumps for days remembering that feeling, you know. So it's, it's incredible to, that, all, that so many of these people actually are quite near. You know, you think, oh, these guys are just knocking around in yeah. sort of, you know, Wills and High Road or yeah. whatever. These people that have just been a, a concept, an idea, for so many decades. And all of a sudden, actually, you know, that is actually a person that, you know, has a house in Brent and lives their life and goes to the shops and, you know, plays gigs and so on. So that's really revealed it for me with what you guys are doing.